Let's pray. Father in heaven, as you have watched over us for many years now, we thank you for that. And Lord, you've led us by your word. You've empowered us by your spirit. You've rescued us by your son. And you've given us hope and promise in him. For this we thank you, Lord, this day. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. Now, Lord, we're going to look inside of your word. And as we look into your word, I pray that you would speak out of your word to us and that our hearts would be changed, that the things that we accept as being acceptable, we're willing to change over and to put in your hands so that those things that we accept become the things that you do and that your power is unleashed in us. Father, help us to learn from these people in your word. As we look at Caleb and we see how you worked in his life and through him, we pray, Father, that you would challenge us. Help us to hear. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. Open your word, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've called this series Moments of Decision. Because truthfully, all of us are faced with decisions from time to time. In fact, almost daily. Some of the decisions we make are larger. Some of the decisions we make have smaller consequences. But all the decisions we make are significant, and they add up to what we call character. The choices you and I have made over a long time form who we are. They are the basis for which other people measure us and by which other people measure us. So in these moments of decision, I've chosen several characters from the Old Testament. Uh, Last week we looked at Abraham and we saw how God called him and sent him off without even telling him where he's going. Just said, follow me. Go here. And I will show you along the way. And this week I want to look at someone else that is significant, I think. uh, A fellow named Caleb. In our society... We spend a lot of desire, a lot of energy, a lot of money on youth. We seem to be obsessed with staying young. We seem to think that there's some kind of a mistake in the plan that God has put together that we get older. And we are constantly met in a society that's always telling us we need to look different and be different and think different and that uh, youth is the thing to be aimed at. Every school child learns as they study history about a fellow named Ponce de Leon. Remember him? And what's, what do you associate with Ponce de Leon, with his name? The fountain of youth, right? <clears throat> I don't know that he actually ever spent his life pursuing that. But we caught on to that, the fountain of youth. There has to be something there. There's this mythical place where we can become youthful again. What if there was a way? What if there was a way in this earthly life to be youthful regardless of what stage your body is in? Would you want to know what that was? The character we're going to look at today is going to give us some ideas about that. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Numbers and chapter 13. Now, in Numbers 
we kind of see, we, we just saw in that video clip kind of a summary of, of what we're talking about here. So I just want to read a portion of it. I want to turn, uh, turn our attention to focus it a little bit. So I want to start with verse 25. What happened ahead of time, what happened before this is Israel had left Egypt. They had traveled through the, uh, across the Sinai and they had come to a place. Numbers 13, they're at a place called Kadesh Barnea. It is a place where they can see the promised land. It's within view. It's the place where God has been taking them. It should be okay. And so here we look in Numbers 13. I want to start with verse 25. What they had done, what Moses had done, was he sent spies out into the land so that they could find out what it was that God was going to give them. He wanted to give them a taste of it. They were afraid. They were anticipating what they might find, and they didn't know what it would be like. So they sent out 12 spies, one from representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they went into this promised land. In chapter 13, verse 25, we pick up with the report of the spies. They've come back, and they've said, here's what we found. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Now, back up in the beginning part of the chapter it said that they picked a cluster of grapes and it was so large they carried it on a pole between two men that's Texas sized fruit as we say well they brought this fruit back and they said it does flow with milk and honey however verse 28 the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large and besides we saw the descendants of Anak there the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw there are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. So we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt! Oh, that we would have, had, would have died in this wilderness! Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I'd like to skip down now to verse 20. God has spoken in the meantime here with Moses, and Moses pleaded with God. And God said, 
Here's my answer. Verse 20, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. This is where I want to stop this story and jump into this. Caleb was an uncommon man. He was unusual. Among all the two million people or so of Israel at this time, he was unusual. He stood out. He was uncommon because he had a perspective on life that is not common. He saw life as loaded with opportunities to exercise faith. He trusted God for great things. He went beyond mere optimism. It was a choice. He came to his moment of decision in a very public way. When Caleb made his decision, it wasn't a private thing. It was in public. Everyone knew what he had decided. So today, I want this man's life to challenge us to trust God for great things. There are three insights that Caleb knew about youthful living, and I want us to learn them today. The first thing that Caleb knew was he knew that there is wisdom in trusting God's word above human preference. We're back in chapter 13 again. And Caleb quieted the people, it says, but Caleb quieted the people. You can imagine all the congregation of Israel was gathered together out on this open plain and they were listening to the report as best they could, as best they could hear and they were getting frightened. The ten spies brought back reports that scared them. Now Caleb, it tells us, was a son of Jephunneh, a Kenizzite. He may not even have been a Jew by birth. It seems that the Kenizzites were a family that attached themselves to Israel and went along with them because they believed in the God of Israel. And so here was a man whose family had become trusted among people that were not their people by birth. And yet they held on to him and they made him a leader and they put him forward when they looked for people to go out into the land and give back a, bring back an honest report. They chose this man, this man Caleb. Caleb by inference, means bold and impetuous. It means wholehearted. It means hearty. The character of this man. Even if his eyes warned him of difficulties, his heart gave him courage to move forward because God's word was clear to him. God said, this is the place I'm giving you. And if God said it for Caleb, that was good enough. God wouldn't make a mistake about this. And Caleb saw the same thing that the other spies saw. He and Joshua saw the same thing. But they had different perspectives on it. Caleb's first moment of decision was expressed, expressed in public. He stood up and he quieted the people. And you could imagine in your mind's eye him standing before the people, putting up his arms and saying, Wait, listen, I have something to tell you. And all the people were 
busy moaning and crying and saying, well, you, see, you see what this is like? You see how bad it's going to be? I told you this was foolish to do this. We were better off in Egypt. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses. <clears throat> and this is down in verse 30 again. And he said, let us go up at once. Let us go up now. Let's not debate about it. Let's not moan about it. God has opened the door. Let's do it now. Remember last week we saw that Abraham developed the habit of obeying God quickly. God said, leave or, and he went and packed his camel. God speaks and God's people respond. He said, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Now he had seen the same thing. He had seen all the ites back in 29. The Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, all the ites were there. And they're all strangers to them. It's another culture. And he saw the same things. But he said, we are well able, not because of their natural abilities, but because God has power in fulfilling his word. He had seen, not many days before, the great power of God demonstrated in setting the people of Israel free from slavery in Egypt, over 400 years of slavery. They were set free. His speech was very short, but it communicated all the power of faith in God. He didn't reason with everyone and say, well, let me give you ten reasons why. He didn't preach a sermon. He said, we can do this. God said it. We can do it. If there's anything I want to leave with you, burned into your hearts and minds, it is this. With God, nothing is impossible. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? You read this Bible, and over and over and over again, we find the story recorded for us of different people and how God spoke and did what he said he would do, and he did impossible things. He set an entire nation free from slavery in one night. Just bang, that's it. Today's the day you go out. It wasn't a long process. It wasn't something he had to work on. They didn't have to go through legislation changes. They just did it. God set the people free. That's the kind of God we serve. That's Old Testament. You say, well, what about the New Testament? We start out with that story of an angel coming to a young woman, an incredulous woman, seeing an angel for the first time. Her name was Mary. And he brought a message to her that she was going to have a child. She was going to have a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she said, how can this be? Naturally speaking, it doesn't make sense. I had biology in high school. It doesn't make sense. But the angel Gabriel's response to her was, with God, nothing is impossible. Can you say that today? With God... Nothing is impossible. Could you say it with conviction? With God, nothing is impossible. Thank you. Praise God. That, that's the theme of Scripture. It runs all through the Word of God. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. The, the laws that govern our world are suspended by God at will. He does what He wants. He accomplishes what He pleases. With God, nothing is impossible. Caleb held on to that. And he had developed a habit of God confidence. 
It's interesting that the way he responded in chapter 14, verse 9, when he spoke to the people again, he said, only do not rebel against the Lord. And, And Caleb was clear to see that. That God had spoken, and if they did not obey, they would be rebelling. It wasn't just that they're taking another choice. They were actually shaking their fist at God and saying, No, we're not doing what you want us to do. So if they were not believing God, they were actually in rebellion against him. Caleb pointed this out to them. And he said, Only do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. We're going to eat them up. He said, Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what your eyes see. They are bread for us for us their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us do not fear them now the response of the congregation was amazing then all the people said to stone them with stones they weren't inspired by this they just said our mind was made up we are not going to do what God said we're not going to trust God in this We are going to fear. We are going to tremble instead. As parents of a new baby boy, many years ago, Jan and I were so impressed with these two men, Joshua and Caleb, that we knew that as we were choosing a name for our first son, as it turned out, before we had a second, we needed to, we wanted to include one of these men. We wanted to impart to this baby about whom we knew nothing but had only great hopes. We wanted to give to him something that would carry him. Something that through his life he would have an example built in. All he had to do was look at his name. And so we chose the middle name of Caleb for our first son Joel. We did it on purpose and we did it because these two men, Joshua and Caleb, set such an example that their lives were so powerfully built around faith that we wanted them to model their lives on this. Now, when we had a second child, a second son, we knew what his middle name was going to be right away. We had a Caleb. We needed a Joshua. We needed two men of God. We wanted two men of God who would trust God and live in faith. The question that comes to all of us at some season and I'm sure that some of you are facing this question now is what are you facing that's too big for you what is it that's out of your control what is it that is unclear to you what is it that is striking fear in your heart what are you going to do about that who are you going to believe at this moment are you going to listen to the congregation and the ten spies in fear and trembling or are you going to listen to Joshua and Caleb who are you going to follow at that moment and maybe you're not facing one of those crises now but you will there will be a time in your life when you face a crisis of some sort and it will be a big one and in facing it you have to make some decisions will you be following the ten spies Or will you follow Joshua and Caleb? Caleb held his position in spite of great opposition. Only one other person stood with him, evidently. Oh, there was Moses, and he was off on the side there, and evidently watching, and Aaron. But the people said, let's stone him to death. 
You know, when you're standing up in front of a big crowd of people and they start bending down to pick up stones, you get a little nervous, I would imagine. But Caleb and Joshua stood there. They held a minority opinion. Maybe someday you'll find yourself holding a minority opinion. All the people around you are saying, oh, don't go that way. The majority are saying, don't do it. The majority is saying, it's a fearful thing. Don't go down that road. The majority is saying, it's unsafe. We don't know. And the question is, will you stand in the face of the opposition at that time? There was great social pressure on these two men to cave, to collapse, and say, well, well, you know, you're right. You're right. We're just kind of overly optimistic by nature, and yeah, you're right. There are these big guys there, and we wouldn't want that. We don't want Joshua and Caleb to cave, and they didn't. They held their position. In our society, in our day, Christians hold many minority opinions in our culture. There are opinions, there are ideas growing that are the opposite of what the Word of God teaches us. And the question is, will we stand? Will we stand with the Word of God? Will we trust that God is able, even when the world says that's a fool's policy? Will we do that? Caleb formed his self-image from God's perspective, not from that of the world. When Caleb asked himself, who am I? He said, well, who does God say I am? To answer that question. Down in verse 24 of chapter 14, God spoke of him in this way. My servant, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and followed me fully. Everyone else who brought back the fearful report was going to perish in the desert. But these two men, Joshua and Caleb, and God had special plans for Joshua, and he singled out Caleb, and he said, everyone else but my servant Joshua, because he's got a different spirit. There's something about him that's so unique among the people of Israel, among the people of faith. Talked about the report of the spies. The ten spies exaggerated to begin with, and then they added to it. They came back first, and they said, the sons of Anak are there. And everyone said, who Anak? We know who Anak is. Anak are big guys. They could all be NBA players or better. They're big men. They're all genetically inclined to that. That's what they got. They're all big people. And then in the second report, the second time that there was a response in chapter 13, verse 33, the, the ten spies said, there we saw the Nephilim. And there's a little note explaining the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. The Nephilim, to understand who they are, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis 6, God reports that the earth was becoming more and more violent. In the King James Version, it says there were in those days giants in the earth. But the word giants doesn't really capture what the word Nephilim is about. These people evidently were a race of very large people, extremely large people. And somehow they were connected with the sons of God, cohabiting with the daughters of men. And it's said that they were called giants, but the word really 
means that they were violent. They were violent warriors. They were men inclined towards violence. That's the way they thought. That's who they were. They used their massive size to crush people. God determined to flood the earth and destroy it because of the violence of mankind. We discover later on that there was a descendant of Anak. And they say that the Anakim, the descendants of the Nephilim, were uh, there was a family called of Anak. And these people were also giants. We discover, and we're very familiar with one of these giant people by name. His name is Goliath. He was, we read in scripture, a descendant of Anak. Well, putting together the account in Samuel, we find out that Goliath was about 10 feet tall. Big guy. Imagine a whole family, a whole clan, a whole tribe of people all over 10 feet tall. And you walk in there and you would feel intimidated. You would feel small. And that's what these spies said. There are the sons of Anak there. And then they added to it, they're the Nephilim. In other words, they're these kind of supernatural people. They're even worse than giants. They're supernaturally empowered giants. And we can't take them on. And in their own exaggerated telling, they said that we looked in our own eyes like grasshoppers. And that's how they saw us too. Now what do giants do with grasshoppers? You just step on it. No big battle. It's over. So the spies had brought back a discouraging report. But Caleb was exceptional among God's people. He was exceptional. Over and over again, the word is used about Caleb, except Caleb, but Caleb, except Caleb. When he's referred to throughout the Old Testament, he stood out because he trusted God. Joshua and Caleb together were exceptional because they saw the world differently. They saw everything through the filter of God's word. If God said it, it's done. It's not a matter of what my eyes see. You and I need to form our self-image from God's perspective. Otherwise, we'll live this life in constant fear. Who are you? If you are a child of God... Who are you? And now, in, in John 1.12, we read, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you're a child of God, who's your father? Who's your daddy? With your daddy, with God, nothing is impossible. That's the theme throughout Scripture. When I was a kid, my, my uncle worked for IBM. And uh, we lived out on Long Island in New York. And... One of the things, one of the perks that IBM provided for its employees, and this is for all the employees, was they had what they called the IBM Country Club. IBM bought a big estate, and they turned it over to the employees. They, they said, this is where the employees can go, and, and uh, it was just a, some wealthy person's estate that they bought, and it had rolling hills, and, and it was just a great place to go to. Well, one year, my uncle was the president, and it rotated through this presidency. My uncle was the president of the IBM Country Club. And my cousin invited me to go with him to the IBM Country Club, of which my uncle was the president. Ooh, wasn't that cool? I could, 
and, and I remember there was some guy there. I don't remember this kid very much. I didn't know him at all, but somehow we got into it. My cousin and I and, and this guy. And I remember saying to him, my uncle's the president of this country club. And if you don't shape up, he's going to throw you right out of here. He's my uncle. He's the president. Of course, my uncle never knew that I said that. Your God is your father. You trust him. You hold on to him. If he is your father, and with God nothing is impossible, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe? <laughs> My father always had this saying, you're going to believe me or your own eyes. And in this case, the question is too. To the people of Israel, who are you going to believe? God or your own eyes? If you want to believe your eyes, go ahead. You'll be afraid with everybody else. But if you want to believe God, you'll be with Caleb, that exceptional, exceptional person. God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but of power, and of love, and of self-control. So Caleb knew that God's word was the most important thing. The second thing that Caleb knew was that, and, and I phrase this not too tactfully, Caleb knew that you should leave retirement for the pagans. Verse 30 of chapter 14 we find again uh, God repeating this and uh, he said that he's telling Israel what's going to happen everyone 20 years old and upward who grumbled against me not one shall come into the land where I swore that I will make you dwell except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun Caleb had this idea he wanted to enter into God's promise, the promised place. There is for the people of God a rest. We read that in Hebrews, a rest. There's a place where in faith, as you walk through this life, you can enter into a place of faith. For the people of Israel, the picture of that was called Canaan. It was the promised land. As you are outside of Christ living in the world and doing whatever came along and whatever your impulse told you to do, you always secretly wish that there was a place of peace, that there was a place of rest, that there was a place where the battle would be over. And then you met Jesus Christ and you discovered there is such a place. There's a place of promise in him. There's a place of rest for your soul in this world. Caleb entered into God's promise. He and Joshua were the only two of that age, besides Moses and Aaron, who were able to go in to the promised land. Why? Actually, Moses didn't get to go in, did he? He lost his cool. He took credit for what God was doing, and Moses never saw it, and Aaron never saw it. Only two went in out of that whole generation. All their children were watching, and mom and dad never got to go into the promised land. They had to wander for 40 years in the desert. They never saw the promise because they never entered into it by faith. That's the promise of God. There is a rest for the people of God. Caleb received a special reward for his faith. He not only got to go in, but he was given a, spe a specific place of uh, dwelling in the southern part of the land of Israel and he was given a city called Hebron 
And later on, this city would become a special place of refuge where people who were being hunted because they accidentally killed someone, they could come there and they could live there safely. And Caleb spread his reputation around that place. There's a place of reward. There's a place place of blessing. We read in Hebrews again, without faith it is impossible to please him. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God rewards those who seek him. Caleb saw that in action. He received the reward from God. We find in other places in the New Testament that there are crowns given out to believers. We find that these seem to be extra, extra reward given. There's something called the crown of life. There's a crown called the crown of righteousness. There's a crown of glory. Now we also read in the book of Revelation that those who have gathered around the throne of, of Jesus have taken off their crowns and thrown them down. But there's a reward for the people of God for believing him for following him steadfastly, even when the crowd doesn't want to go that way. Heaven, of course, is the real reward for all believers, both before and since Christ. That is the place. That is the place where God is going to take us. And Jesus spoke to his disciples when they were feeling particularly insecure because he had told them that he was going to leave them. And in John chapter 14, he, they're worried. They're, they're afraid. They, they had come to depend utterly upon him. He was their defender. He was their model. He was the one that they followed in all things. And he just said, I'm leaving. And he said this to them in John 14, verse 1. <clears throat> Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So I return to this theme. Leave retirement for the pagans. So much of American culture is about, I can't wait to get to that place. I'm marking it on the calendar. I've got it there. I'm saving up for that. I'm I'm going for that. And all of what we look for, we tend to, and the older you get, the more you tend to look for that moment of retirement. That's what the culture declares to us. There should be a time when you just give it all up. You're still alive, but you just go and do something. Two stories in the last week. This is from World Magazine. The first one. The next time Lydia Hart goes to deliver food with her Meals on Wheels partner, perhaps the pair should stop at Hart's house. That's because Hart, who has volunteered with the charity that delivers meals to low-income seniors, is herself 101 years old. Years ago, the Chesapeake, Virginia woman said she was even more active. I used to carry the meals, but after my legs and feet got the better of me, I still wanted to help, said Hart to a Chesapeake television station. It's fun for me and a chance to get out. It gives me something to do. These days, Hart rides shotgun and navigates for her 72-year-old partner. She's not about to stop helping the little old ladies, as she calls them, uh, her clients who are 20, sometimes 30 years younger than her. I'm not going to retire from this since I've retired from everything else. She's got a heart, that Lydia Hart. Then another story that I came across 
about homes being sold to the west of us in Chicago, outside of Chicago. And it had a picture of a couple of a certain age, with which I identify greatly, and they were standing on a golf course. And they had just bought a house on a golf course. It was their goal. It was what they wanted to do for the rest of their lives. And I think, is that it? That's it? You work your whole life, and then you hit a ball around and try to get it in a hole. And that's fulfillment? That's, that's what you do once in a while for entertainment. But that's your goal in life? And there's a whole community that they're selling, and the big benefit is you get to live on a golf course so you can play golf every day. That's it? Is that all there is? The pagan vision of retirement is do nothing. Just consume as much as you can for your own comfort, your own relaxation, your own pleasure, and just use it all up. The biblical Christian vision of retirement is to ask the question, what else? What's next? You see, as long as you're walking here on this earth, God has something for you to do. And it is not to play golf for the rest of your life. It's more important than that. You've got heaven coming. You can relax. Although you're going to be growing, and you know we know there's going to be work in heaven. We know that there'll be activity in heaven. It will not be a place of kicking back and laying in hammocks for eternity. Leave retirement for the pagans. That's as close to heaven as they'll ever get. On the other hand, that's a mission field, isn't it? All these people that are getting closer and closer to that day, and they need to be reached for Jesus. Caleb knew a third thing. The secret of lasting youthfulness is purpose-focused living. Turn to Joshua, chapter 14. The book of Joshua, chapter 14. This man Caleb appears again in a significant place. The people of Israel had wandered around for 40 years. They entered into the promised land. They fought some battles. They were victorious against all these giants that they had, their parents had feared so terribly. And they were in this place and the land was to be divided up. And then they got careless. Look at chapter 14. I want you to start with verse 6. The people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again, as it was in my heart. But now, my brothers, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord, my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. And we would say, You should be retired, Caleb. 
they had been in the promised land for five years. Forty years wandering, they entered over in, and there was still work to be done. They hadn't done what God had given them to do fully. They began to settle down. They began to lose sight of what was yet in front of them. Five years later, they still hadn't accomplished what God had told them to do. Caleb goes on, verse 11, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there the great, with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Here's this 85-year-old guy. We would say you should be in a nursing home, Caleb. And he goes up to Moses and to Joshua and he says, Okay, I'm ready. What's next? Give me that mountain. Give me that place. Don't, don't give me an easy place to take. Anybody can take that. God promised this. I want what he promised for me. Your great purpose in life is to bring glory to God with your life for every minute of it. Every minute that God gives you breath. That is, in all the seasons of your life, childhood, youth, adulthood, old age, in all the pursuits of your life, in your career, bring glory to God. In all the roles of your life, son, daughter, father, mother, sister, brother, in all of those roles, bring glory to God. In all of the situations of your life, bring glory to God. Glory to Jesus. That will be your theme of eternity, and you and I get to begin to do it now. Remember again in Colossians, Paul wrote to the Colossian church and he said, speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Everything is for Jesus. All of this life is for Jesus. All of your life is for Jesus. I love the way that Caleb got old. And I would say from watching Caleb's example that you and I should get old to the glory of God. You've begun to notice, no doubt, that some things are not what they once were. That some of the skills you depended on, some of the abilities you depended on, might not be as sharp as they once were. Cheer up, it probably gets worse. But for all of your life, Whatever you have should be given for the glory of Jesus. You are to live and get old for the glory of Jesus. You don't get old up to a certain point as a Christian and they say, okay, from this point on, it's for me. It's for Jesus. It's all for him. This was his second public moment of decision. The first, he stood up against the whole congregation of Israel and he made his declaration. And now here at this time, he stood up publicly again and he said, give me that mountain. I'm 85 and I'm kind of anxious to get going. There's work to be done. The secret of lasting youthfulness is using whatever age you are for the glory of God. We just sang a song, Mighty God, and this verse is quoted in here, Isaiah 40. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might he increases strength. 
Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Some of God's people make the mistake of thinking, well, I've got a lot of time before I have to make those decisions. You don't know how many years you have. That's why this is the time you have to bring glory to Jesus. You don't know that you have tomorrow or the next day. I don't want it to be too unsettling about this, but what if this was your last year on earth? What if? If you knew that it was your last year on earth, what would you do differently to bring glory to Jesus with your life? That's why Moses, as an old man writing in the 90th Psalm, said, Teach us to number our days aright, that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. We have to live wisely for whatever days you give us. And at the end, when you stand before Jesus, and as Paul gives account for us that we are going to give an account for our lives, what will you offer up? Will you offer up, well, Lord, I worked really hard for you for a while, but you know, at the end, I just had to play golf. Uh, Here's a piece of sod. Here's a divot. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. What will we give up to Jesus? What will we be returning to him that he entrusted to us? You and I need to see life as an adventure of faith because it honors God. Verse 13, Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. He went in there and he took on the giants. He said, let's go, guys. Come on, you young guys, you're probably tired, but let's go. Let's go and take on the giants. Let's get that mountain. And so in Psalms, We read in Psalm 71, Even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Caleb entered in to the challenge with the presence of God. When he said, uh, It may be that the Lord will be with me, he wasn't hoping. He was depending on the word that God had given him already. That I'm giving this place to you, and he was moving on faith. I believe that the key to lifelong youthfulness is adventuresome faith. Living the adventure of faith. One thing I think of when I think about this is a man, an English missionary who went out, uh, he was a shoemaker by trade, and God had gifted him marvelously. His name was William Carey. In 1793, he sailed from England to India. He was not wanted there by the East India Company, They were interested in money, not souls. And so he settled in a part of northeastern India where the city of Calcutta is. And there he began to set about to do the work of God. And he established a work that continues on to this day. It's one of the inspirational things to me to see a picture of this place. Uh, There's this church. Let's see that picture now. It's, It's a church that was built there. In 1809, still there today, still looks like this. It's called Cary Baptist Church now. This is the entryway to that church, and over it again, over it right there is a sign. 
And the sign is a saying, it's a motto that William Carey adopted. He said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And he set out to do the work of God in northern India. He began to win people to Jesus Christ and changed the nation of India for his part in that work. I want you to write down something now. What is one thing, one thing that God has in front of you to do next? One thing that you know will honor him right in front of you. What is the next thing that God has in front of you? Because that's what Caleb had to decide. Will I do the next thing that God has put in front of me? What changes do you need to make at this point in your life so that you will anticipate living your whole life for the glory of God? What is it that you are expecting of God and what will you attempt for God? Because with God, once again, with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Live your whole life to glorify Jesus Christ. Your whole life, every minute of it, every minute he gives you breath on this earth. We're going to sing a closing song, and, and I managed to use this time all of it up. So uh, we will sing this song, and then we'll be closing with this song. So let's all stand as we sing. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's give him honor. Let's give praise to Jesus.